0: Well, as we've already mentioned, we're blessed to have Mark Bocanegra with us today to open God's Word. So, Mark, come and preach for us. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. It's a privilege to be with you all, to worship with you, and to read you God's Word. Today's passage is from Philemon, verses 21 to 25, the end of the letter to Philemon. This is God's word. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is the word of God. Let me pray. Father in heaven, Lord of the harvest, King of the Great Commission, I thank you, Lord, first, to be here with my brothers and sisters in Christ here in in Fairfax, Virginia, in New Hope Presbyterian Church. It's truly an honor to co-labor with them, to co-suffer with them for this wonderful Great Commission. Father, I thank you, Lord, for this letter that was written on the mission field. Thank you for the heart of Paul. I pray, Lord, that I would preach not my word, not my message, not what's on my, what I like to say to my brothers and sisters, but to preach your word as your servant, as your ambassador. I pray, Lord, that you would prepare our hearts to remember that this is not the word of man, but this is the word of the Lord of the harvest. So may we be open. May we be hopeful. And may we desire to hear from our King. We thank you, in in Christ's name we pray, amen. Disclaimer here, this is, pro- this is my first uh, Sunday here, uh, first Sunday in the U.S. preaching, so if I don't finish my sentences or just like, oh, Mark's grammar is a little awkward, that's probably because I've been preaching in Japanese for the past two and a half, two and a half years, so forgive me. <laughs> first off... Um, I don't know if children will ask me this question, but maybe uh, a child here is saying, what does a missionary do? I don't know what they do. And simply we bring the word of God to places um, that don't have the word of God or haven't heard the word of God before. And you might if you're a child and you might be thinking, well, what does that actually mean? And so I thought of this little illustration. Um, think about a hospital. Do you know how many kinds of rooms there are in a hospital? Uh, there's a reception desk, there's an office, a room for taking x-rays, a room for examining patients, a room for surgery, a room for patient's wards, a nurse's station, and all kinds of rooms. And without all these kinds of rooms, you can't have a hospital, right? Right? It would be really awkward to have a hospital when you call up and say, I'd like for you to see me. Oh, I'm sorry, you only have an ambulance and a reception desk. That would be a weird hospital, right? That wouldn't be be a hospital. And what we do as a missionary, uh, what we do when we build churches, is to build hospitals. Um, The Apostle Paul would say that uh, missions is like shepherding God's sheep. And the church is a sheep hospital. Right. And you could say that evangelism or sharing the word with others who haven't heard of it is kind of driving the ambulance and bringing them to the hospital. Preaching of the word and doing Bible studies is preparing medicine for those who are injured or sick. Community groups and prayer meetings are places where the doctors, you know, check up on the, on the sheep and see if they're healthy to see if they're walking well. And the nurses' stations or the, the offices where the doctors talk are, are the session meetings and the deacon meetings and uh, the, the, all kinds of meetings where we figure out how to take care of the sheep. And I would say that we need to do everything to do the run of a hospital. You can't just do one. Everything is necessary to do missions. In this letter to Philemon, Paul is a missionary who just tries to do everything. You might be thinking he's a little bit ambitious, he's a little bit unrealistic, but he was a man who did not just have one hope, he had many hopes for missions, and not just a realistic hope, a concrete hope, but a very unrealistic, ambitious hope, multiple hopes. And what we'll hear, see here today, one of my professors at my seminary, uh, when he went through Pauline's, uh, Paul, the Pauline, uh, he taught Pauline studies, the first letter we learned was the letter of to Philemon because it was the most brief but most comprehensive look of what missions looks like. And what I'd like for you to do, I usually have three points, but to just overwhelm you with how much we have to do as missions, I'm going to share five unrealistic hopes that Paul had as a missionary. Five unrealistic hopes. So get ready for this. I'm going to I asked uh, Pastor Paul, how how much time do I have? I I double-checked my time, so I should make sure that I can get through all five um, by, by by the end. So first, the first and most probably obvious hope is this. Paul hoped that the Lord would use any kind of evangelistic encounter to bring anybody from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Paul hoped that every single conversation whether short or long would bring people to Christ kind of unrealistic <laughs> as some of you know Paul was writing this letter on the front lines of missions while Paul was evangelizing in Jerusalem a mob of Jews wanted to execute him accusing him of blasphemy against the God of the Bible and they were trying and they're trying to show to the Roman empire that he was a traitor that he was a, re- a rebel But since Paul was a Roman citizen, he appealed to Caesar. The governor um, kind of shipped him off to to Rome so that he could await trial in front of the most powerful man in the known earth. Paul, in Rome, was under house arrest, but he was literally chained to a Roman soldier waiting for his trial, whether he would be thrown into into the, the lions or not, right? And for... As you hear this dire situation, what would be a normal hope? Lord, please release me. That's normal, right? That's ordinary. But Paul was not a normal person. He expressed his hope in Colossians 4, verses 3, the same church that Paul was writing to in the letter to the Philemon. He says this, Pray at the same time for us as well, that God will open up to us a door for the word, so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ, for which I have also been imprisoned, saying, my hope is that I would be be able to share the word of God with everybody. Not the normal hope. Paul's hope as a missionary was to use every single opportunity to share the gospel boldly. Have a mob of Jews trying to execute you? Share the gospel. Are you standing trial before a Roman governor or a Jewish king figuring out whether to kill you or not? Share the gospel. Are you shipwrecked on an island with a bunch of prisoners? Share the gospel. Are you chained to a Roman soldier? Share the gospel. Are you awaiting trial before the most powerful man in the known earth? Share the gospel. Paul was so hopeful about every single evangelistic encounter that King Agrippa was just Astounded, more or more accurately, disgusted by his fanatical hope, and this is how Paul responds to King Agrippa. I'm going to use the NAS, NASB since it's a little bit more clear. Paul said, "This I would wish to God that whether in a short or long time, not only you, King Agrippa, but also all who hear me this day, that they may that." They'll hear me say, might become such as I am, except for these changes." Anybody who heard that in this day and age, and even that age, is just, Paul's crazy. <laughs> I will admit that Paul would be embarrassed to call me a fellow missionary. Why? Because I'm a skeptical, timid, Presbyterian evangelist. <laughs> But as I was working through this material, I had a powerful reminder of what Paul was talking about. Long story short, I had the opportunity to share the gospel to a church member's father who was diagnosed with stage 4 terminal cancer. The father was a non-Christian, deeply against the biblical faith, never only a couple of times stepped foot into the church, but has nothing, had no knowledge of the Bible. But despite the awkwardness and the painful conversation and my own timidity, I had to have a conversation about his own funeral while he was alive. But in that time, I had to share the gospel in five minutes. But after I explained, I was like, all right, let's get into the funeral arrangements. And after two hours of just talking to him, we are about to close our conversation. We had all the details ready. While I was literally trying to get up, he says, Mark, I have a question. I may not look like it, but I'm a very prideful man. And when you face death like I am right now, there is no reason for me to have any more pride. I'm not a good man. I am a sinful man. But I heard your explanation of the gospel, and it sounds right. I would like to enter into your religious organization, was the Japanese word. (laughs) Totally skeptical. Long story short, after three Bible studies, him and his wife, his wife, both non-Christian, got baptized on July 2, 2023 our last Sunday in Japan. Brothers and sisters, do you have that same unrealistic, fanatical hope of Paul? That the Lord can use any kind of evangelistic counter, whether short or long, to bring someone from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light? Do you have that hope? This hope, this first hope is not particularly surprising. Of course, you're a missionary. You talk about evangelism. But actually, the second to the fifth hope are the hopes that I want to share with you all. Oftentimes, you think that us missionaries are all about evangelism. We are. Well, that's not it. That's not just what we're hoped for. The second unrealistic hope that we have, that Paul had, was this. He wanted everybody in his mission, everybody in his church, to enjoy each other as one family of God. He wanted everybody reconciled to one another so that they would taste what it meant to be in the family, the heavenly family of God. And not just some of you, not just a majority of you. He wanted everyone to be reconciled and to enjoy the family of God. For those who don't know this letter to Philemon, you probably heard this first hope and said, oh yeah, I know what Paul would have said in this letter. Philemon, you must evangelize as, as fervently as I do. Here's your outreach plan. That's probably what he thought. But no, that's actually not what he, that, that's not what he wrote. We do not see the outward-looking evangelist in this letter. We see the quote-unquote inward-looking counselor. Good missionaries, good pastors, good Christian workers are always both evangelistic and always hoping to shepherd the people of God. In this letter, Paul praises Philemon. I think of him as like a good, faithful elder. He was a model of the faith. Philemon generously opened up his home or maybe put in the 21st century his mansion to the church he selflessly gave all his finances. He selflessly supported the brothers and sisters of, the, of this church. And as the spiritual father of Philemon, Paul was a very proud father. He could not ask for more from Philemon. But, but he was not satisfied with Philemon's growth in a good way. Paul then says to Philemon, I'm going to translate the letter into Presbytenese, kind of like Philemon, um, I just finished my membership interview with a man named Onesimus. You know him. He is the slave who betrayed you, who dishonored you, who humiliated you. Well, he's in Rome now, and we finished his interview, and we baptized him. And good news for us, but maybe bad news for you He wants to transfer into your church. Philemon, my son, be reconciled with Onesimus. And I write this letter with my own hand. Welcome Onesimus as you would welcome me. That is my heart's desire. If you are maybe like an evangelism-loving missionary, you might say, Paul, why are you spending so much time? You're, you're literally chained to a Roman soldier. You have hordes of people who want to hear the word, of the word of the gospel. And you spend time writing this letter? You should be out there doing missions. No, no, no. Paul thought that this was part of missions. Missions. If you read the, verses, the, the, the two verses before our text, verses 19 and 20, you see his heart, that this, he was as passionate about reconciling brothers and sisters in Christ as he was with evangelism. Paul was not zealously seeking only one part of missions. As he says in Colossians 2, verses 1, the, the passage that we read, he wanted, he worked tirelessly Not only for people to be baptized, but to be presented mature in Christ. And the most visible form of spiritual maturity is seen in one's relationships. You might be asking me, so Mark, what is the the thing that you, you, you spent the most time in your session this past two and a half years? There was a lot that happened. Elder Mark mentioned to me, you had a very full year. Yes, we had a very full year. But the thing that we spent most, many, many hours in our session was reconciling two sisters in Christ. And you might be thinking, Mark, I've, we've, we're supporting you to reach the ends of the earth. Why are you spending so many hours reconciling these two sisters? And I, in the beginning, I thought, I, I, am, I, I need to get out there. But I will say this. I came to realize that the many hours praying for the peace and purity and unity of the church compounded into something that no amount of evangelism, no amount of Bible studies produced. One lady in the church said to me about our church's pursuit of reconciliation, I understand more deeply what it means to believe and obey the gospel. Brothers and sisters, do you have that same unrealistic hope? that not only people will be brought into the kingdom of light with a brief evangelistic encounter, but on top of that, that all brothers and sisters, all, I really mean all, all brothers and sisters in Christ would be reconciled into one family of God so that they might enjoy each other, not just tolerate each other. When Paul asked Philemon to reconcile with Manisimus, just it's just, just sign the membership transfer. No, it's I want you to enjoy him as a brother. Not as a slave, but as a brother. That was Paul's second unrealistic hope. There's three more. The third one is this. As we read in, verse, in, this, in our text today, his hope was this. Paul was so convinced of the Holy Spirit work that he expected the Philemon and the church To perform miraculous acts of obedience for the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul expected miraculous acts of obedience. The reconciliation that Paul urged to Philemon was, I mean, socially, culturally unthinkable. Just impossible. Not only was reconciliation spiritually painful, it incurred a great financial loss to Philemon. Not only that, during the first century, men would rather die than be humiliated and dishonored. And to reconcile with a slave that dishonored his master is like choosing death. Paul is asking Philemon to die. But what does does Paul say? Oh, I hope you reconcile. Uh, I know it's really difficult for you, so... When when it's convenient, reconcile. No, no, no. He doesn't say that. He says in verses 21, Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. Wow, he just raised the ante there. (laughs) There's zero wiggle room for Paul. He wanted Philemon to miraculously obey their great commandment to love his neighbor. As himself, Paul wanted Philemon to throw away the values of society. He wanted to throw away the world, throw away Philemon's life in order to obey for love's sake. In verses 9, you might be thinking that's pretty ordinary. Maybe missions is about miracle healings or miracle exorcisms or something like that. No. The miracle that we're looking for in missions is this. Having totally depraved sinners obey our king. That's the, that's the miracle that we're looking for. Paul was convinced that this, not only would he just reconcile, Philemon and the church would reconcile, that, that he would do, do more. And we have evidence that they did more. The first piece of evidence. Isn't it interesting that this letter made it into the New Testament. It would be kind of awkward to have this part and say, so, sorry, we didn't reconcile, guys. <laughs> it would be a very awkward conversation. No, the reason why this letter is there is because not only did they, they, did they reconcile, but they did it with flying colors so that they made it into the New Testament. Colossians, the second piece of evidence in the letter to Colossians in Colossians 4.9, we see that Uh, Paul tells the church in Colossae to accept Onesimus as a faithful and beloved brother. Not only Paul called the church, but the entire region to accept Onesimus. This is not part of the Bible, but some of you know that 40 years later after this letter, we see a pastor in um, Antioch writing a letter to a pastor in Ephesus. Uh, 40 years later after this letter. And he signs this letter. It says that he wrote to the pastor of the church in Ephesus. And his name was Pastor Onesimus. Abounding in love. We don't know if this is the Onesimus here for sure. But I think there's a high probability that there is. So what happened was this. What most likely happened was this. The slave, the non-Christian slave who betrayed his master. Became a Christian in Rome. Came back to Colossae thrived under Philemon. And he was sent out basically as a missionary to pastor a church in Ephesus. They did more than Paul asked. As a church who is involved in missions, do you have that same unrealistic hope that people who come to faith not only come to faith, but would perform miraculous acts of obedience? I don't have to recount what happened on the mission field because you've seen it already. Within your congregation, within your families, they might be small to the world, but miraculous to the Lord. Do you have that hope? The fourth unrealistic hope, see, I'm just, I'm just powering through here. <laughs> fourth unrealistic hope here is this. This This had a different effect on me until I'm preaching here. Um, But this is the fourth hope. Paul always hoped and desired to meet with his brothers and sisters in Christ. It sounds very simple, right? That's a very simple hope. But let, let me unpack that for you. Read verses 22. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me. For I'm hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. You might think that's like a throwaway verse, right? But remember where Paul is. (laughs) He was chained to a Roman soldier. He was waiting trial for Caesar and he just casually says, Oh, prepare a room for me. But the most interesting thing is not Paul's unrealistic hope of freedom, but what was the the substance of his hope, what he wanted to do. Where did he want to go? He wanted to go to Philemon and Onesimus and the church of Colossae. If you read the letter to the Romans, before this letter, Paul wanted to go to Rome, and where did he want to go after that? Bay. That's west. But here, when he's at Rome, where does he want to go? He wants to go to Colossae. That's, that's a U-turn. He wants to go back east. What we see here is this. Paul was not doing missions in order to ac- accomplish some abstract ideal of reaching the unreached. Paul was not doing missions in order to create the most impact, even though he desired that. Paul was on mission to love the church, to love people. So even though Paul wanted to go to Spain, he had no issue whatsoever to make a U turn and to go see the Colossian church to make sure that Philemon and Onesimus are loving each other and as brothers in Christ. Some people ask me, "Oh, I'm so sorry." that you're here on HMA. Before I was like, yeah, I'm sorry too. But now after reading this, like, no. I want to be here at HMA because I want to he- meet you all. I want to be refreshed by you. And not only that, Paul desired to skip the big famous Antioch Church, the Jerusalem Church, and the Ephesian Church. He went to itty-bitty little Colossian Church, the church in Colossae. The reason why? Because he just simply loved his people. And so my, my question to you this is, do you have that same hope? That Do you hope to love the church, even if that means it messes up our outreach plans? final hope. Paul's final unrealistic hope was this. He wanted to accomplish the Great Commission with an imperfect, sinful church. That's what he hoped to do. If you're good at something, you know it's always faster and easier to do it alone, right? (laughs) But despite this, Paul chose to do missions with a group of people with the body of Christ. My New Testament professor says that there are 66 names that appear in the New Testament as Paul's co-laborers. And verses 23 to 24 tells us that Paul had five companions with him. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. So do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. Missions is about the whole church, not just us missionaries, the whole church, you our supporters, our co-sufferers, that we would do the, fulfill the Great Commission together. And Epaphras, Aristarchus, and Luke were prisoners with Paul. They were co-sufferers with Paul. And I always say that my supporting churches, my supporters, are co-sufferers with me. They suffer with me. But there's a caveat here. The people we co-suffer with are imperfect people too? What do I mean by that? You had five people. There are two people who are not on the let's say the the, the straightforward path. You on had one hand. You had people like Mark or John Mark, as you all know. Mark is a man who had worked with Paul, but he basically kind of tapped out on his first short-term mission trip. He said, "Oh, this is too much for me. I'm 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 done." Right, and Paul was burdened by that. He didn't like that, but he, I think, graciously said to John Mark and said, I think you need, you need to stay on the bench for a while. But after that, and that was a burden to Paul, that saddened Paul, that made him angry. <laughs> but what we see here, uh, what we see in the letter to Tim- Timothy, as you all know, is that he says to Luke, uh, he says to Timothy, Luke alone is with me and get Mark or John Mark and bring him with you. For he is very useful to me. In other words, there are ups and downs in ministry when you work in a team sport. That is the Great Commission. There are people who burden us sometimes. But we have hope that the Lord would use them powerfully. And to bless the entire mission field. But there is also the opposite case. You all know Demas. Demas was actually a faithful laborer, as you can see here in Philemon. But in 2 Timothy, verses 4.10, it says this, For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Missions always involves people who suddenly abandon the faith, Unfortunately. There's betrayal on the mission field. Missions and not only international missions, but domestic missions is, is painful. But do you see Paul saying, "Ah, oh, this is awful. No. He takes joy, hope, and excitement in laboring with the entire church. No matter who he worked with, Paul remained faithful, hopeful, and joyful as he worked with the imperfect church on mission. So when we are on mission, do we have that same unrealistic hope when you're with your ministry groups or your, or your, or your, or your church? Do you have hope like Paul when you're on mission with the church? But I want to end with this. I just powered through five unrealistic hopes and you probably are... I'm pretty overwhelmed by what I have to do um, because they're unrealistic. Like, Paul, why in the world would you think this way? Let's have concrete, like tangible, I don't want to, sh- like, I just want to get to first base. You're, you're t- talking about Grand Slam. home. I, I can't do that. But the reason why Paul has these hopes is because he's gazing upon the perfect missionary who had these same hopes hopes it's jesus christ the perfect missionary not only did he have did jesus have unrealistic hopes but he brought it into reality let me take you through those hopes this is not in order but just to share with you what jesus looks like as a missionary jesus was the ultimate evangelist he always used every single encounter to share the gospel with people Do you remember that conversation with Galilean fishermen about that about their catch? Do you remember that conversation on with a certain Samaritan woman on uh, at the well? Maybe a theological debate with angry Pharisees. A private conversation with a certain politician named Pontius Pilate. And what was Jesus' last conversation? He was on the cross, talking to a thief about paradise. Jesus hoped that every moment would be used to bring his sheep to his father. Not only was Jesus a passionate evangelist, he wanted to be with his people. When disciples said, don't bring your children here, what did Jesus do? No, bring the children here because they belong in the kingdom of heaven. They're my family. When Jesus was busy doing missions, When he got the call that Lazarus was about to die, what did he do? He dropped everything and went to Martha and Mary. He was always hanging out with his disciples that even the Pharisees were saying, well, we we don't agree with everything about John the Baptist, but at least he fasted and prayed. (laughs) But you, Jesus, you always like eat and drink with your people. Don't you have things to do? (laughs) Jesus believed that doing missions was not just about evangelizing, but it also involved loving his people. And you saw how he wa- worked with, uh, you saw how he worked. He didn't work alone. That would have probably been a better mission. <laughs> but he worked with 12 disciples, and you know, you know their personalities. Peter, enthusiastic, zealous, but kind of clumsy, Right? Thomas, always suspicious and sarcastic I love the sarcasm that bleeds out of Thomas. James and John, the sons of thunder, always angry and trying to grab power from the other disciples. And Judas, Judas. faithful, but it betrayed him at the end. But how did Jesus work with these disciples? He had hope. He gave each of the disciples the same gospel and the same power to do miracles. He washed all of their feet and he gave all of them the Lord's Supper. And I'm going to remind you, Judas was included. We should not forget that when Jesus did missions, he did missions no matter who they were. If But not only that, Jesus didn't just tolerate his disciples. He had great hopes for his disciples. He expected his disciples to perform miracles of obedience. Didn't Jesus say, truly, truly, I say to you, I am with you. Uh, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will not be condemned. He who believes in me will do the works that I do and greater works. For I am going to the Father. Do you believe, brothers and sisters in Christ, that the church of Christ will do greater works than Jesus himself, in the sense of expanding the kingdom to the ends of the earth? Do you believe, And the, the disciples, even though they betrayed them, they obeyed, if you looked, if you looked to, in the book of Acts. And lastly, and lastly, this is where it really hit home for me, Jesus came not only to fulfill the mission given to him by the Father, but he, Jesus is going to come back. Jesus is going to to take that U-turn to meet us. Jesus who hung hung on the cross and rose from the dead three days later and ascended into the heavens and received the hallelujah chorus, he did not stop there. He's not stopping there. He will take a U-turn. He will come here and bring the new Jerusalem to us just as Paul took that U-turn to see Philemon and Onesimus. His eternal purpose is not only to bring the kingdom to the ends of the earth, but to love you and me and to enjoy our relationship with Him. As the ultimate missionary, Jesus accomplished His work. His missionary work Of salvation. He had unrealistic hopes, but unrealistic hopes, when it turns into reality, they're no longer unrealistic. Jesus died, was resurrected, he poured out the Holy Spirit, and the fact that you are here today confessing that the Lord Jesus Christ is your Savior. That was an unrealistic hope turned into reality. Let us be thankful for Jesus' missionary work. And with that reality, let us be hopeful, maybe even fanatically hopeful to others out there that these five hopes will come to reality. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I confess, Lord, that I am like that skeptical. Sarcastic, Thomas. That when you send me out into the Great Commission, I am very, very skeptical. This is unrealistic, Father. This can't happen. But Lord, may I look to the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ, the powerful, resurrecting work of the Holy Spirit, so that we might have these five hopes as we accomplish the Great Commission together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.